Our series, <clears throat> excuse me, is called All Together, or rather All In. <clears throat> My message is entitled All Together. We've been talking about the first century of Christianity, that, that uh, by AD 200 Christianity had permeated most of the Roman Empire, that by 325 there were an estimated 7 million Christians, and that nearly 2 million of them paid with their lives. And the question is, how is this possible? There was no social media, there was no internet, there, there, was, there wasn't a printing press. How was this possible? That's the question. I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 42, as we read about five verses here that I think are really critical. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love these verses in the book of Acts. And what I'd like to do this morning is look deeper into these verses, but then also compare them to later in the first century to what was happening in the church. The first thing I want to look at in those verses is that they devoted themselves... And I'm going to add a word to the fellowship, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The word fellowship in the original language that the Bible was written in is the word koinonia. I grew up hearing all about the word fellowship. I heard it all the time. In fact, the standard question when I was a kid was, how can you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ? How can you become a stronger Christian? And the answer to that was, read your Bible, pray, and fellowship with other Christians. I heard all about it. And for, for me in my young um, age, what I equated the word fellowship with was eating. Okay? There's an old saying in the church, there ain't no meeting without eating. Okay? And there, we're doing it today. Um, we're doing it next Sunday. It's just, it's just, it's a part of, of what we do. And there's two things about that that I love. Okay? And this is Kevin Taylor. This is not anyone else, this is just me. Number one is I like to eat, and, and more of a number one is I like to talk, okay? And so eating and talking really go well together, and, and I love those things. And so that's what fellowship was. It was eating and talking. But what did that, that, that really mean? That word koinonia, a lot of times, when we think of the word fellowship, we use it uh, very lightly today. Koinonia means a, an, it's involved in deeper level of fellowship than just an informal social gathering. The essential element of koinonia is participation. 
Now, in that original Greek language, this verse contains the article T-H-E, the, or the, before the word fellowship. So it would read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. I want you to think how that changes that sentence and the difference that that makes. The 120 that were in the upper room, the 500 that were the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, the 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, these devoted themselves to the fellowship. They didn't just devote themselves to eating and talking together. They literally devoted themselves to the fellowship. Their participation was based on what they held in common. These were Jews that some of them were from all over the world and their their connection was based on Jesus Christ. That is where their fellowship was based on. That word devotion or being devout means to be loyal, to be devoted means faithful, true, staunch, steadfast. Constant, committed, dedicated. Many of these people would soon flee from Jerusalem due to persecution, but they remained constant in the fellowship of those with whom they shared the connection in Jesus Christ. Now, if we use Jesus' death somewhere between AD 30 and 36 as a fixed point, we can then move forward to AD 67 to 69 when the book of Hebrews was written, challenging believers to persevere under pressure. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, he says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So a mere three to four decades after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended to the Father, we see that there are people who have begun giving up meeting together as a part of the fellowship. Three to four decades. And here we are, 2,000 years have gone by. Those in Hebrews, they were no longer demonstrating that they were devoted to the fellowship. They had fallen out of koinonia. They had fallen out of participation with the church. The writer of Hebrews throws in the word but to set an opposite to the action of giving up on the participation when he instructs them to encourage one another because the day of the Lord is coming. Do you realize that when you participate in the body of Christ, when you are devoted to the body of Christ and you come together, that you bring with yourself an encouragement to others who may be discouraged? There are people that walk through the door on Sunday morning and they may not be excited about life. They may need encouragement. And when we begin to, to, to worship together, when Nikki or Marie is here on the platform with the worship team and the praises of God begin to go up, what happens to the heart of people? They get encouraged. What if there was just one person there and one person there and maybe another one over there and 
There wasn't as much participation. Think, man, that's kind of dull. But when the people of God join together and when they begin to worship the Lord together, when they begin to care for one another, I love watching it as people walk in the door. And whether somebody's a part of the hospitality team or not, they are hugged, they are greeted, they are warmly received. So many times new people say to me or they email to me or they, or they will send me a note in the mail and say, I was received so warmly warmly by your church. I'm telling you what, that encourages those people. But if we're not committed to and devoted to the fellowship that God has brought us into, that cannot happen. So don't give up on the fellowship. I hate to say it, but today is a lot like Hebrews chapter 10 that we read just a moment ago. You see, in Hebrews chapter 10, those people were already coming under persecution for the burning of Rome, and Nero blamed it on the Christians, and so they were already being persecuted. Imagine a person who is a believer in Christ who no longer gets together with the fellowship and tries to do it on his own. That culture is not going to encourage them. Culture is not going to support them. That's what it is today in America. Because in America, if you claim to talk to God and you dare to claim that God actually speaks back to you, you're a nutcase. Our culture does not support living for Jesus. Are you with me? We need to be devoted to the fellowship for the encouragement of one another. Don't give up on it. Be devoted to it. Next, it says that they had everything in common. Let's look at verse 44 and 45 again of our text. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Although... The intense persecution of the church did not break out until after the death of Stephen in Acts 7. There was undoubtedly a cost that they paid for serving Jesus, a social price. They were ostracized publicly. And the response to this social pressure was almost a communal living in the book of Acts. There was so much togetherness that one could say that, it, that they were living communally. By Acts chapter 6, the fellowship had taken on the responsibility of caring for widows. You say, well, what does that mean? What is that really all about? You see, there was no social security. There were no pensions. When uh, a Jewish woman's husband died, if she had no sons, she had no one to take care of her. So the church took on that responsibility because these women were coming to know Jesus and the church felt that responsibility and they began to meet those needs. And so they began that communal sort of response in order to take care of those needs. In Acts chapter 5, we see that being done very specifically 
There's a story there of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, granted, this is not a positive story because they lied to the Holy Spirit. but, But for a second, let's set that apart. It says that they sold a piece of property and they bought a, brought a portion of that, uh, that, 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 that profit and they laid it at the disciples' feet in order to care for those who were in need. Peter tells them, hey, this is your property, right? You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to give that money. This money is yours. You didn't have to give any of it. There was no pressure. It was just something that the church began to do. There was a, 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 an organic response. And again, as we move forward to Acts cha- from Acts chapter 2, and we move to where Second Corinthians was written, A.D. 55 and 56, we see more evidence of everything being done in common. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul writes this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Now let me put this in context. That after the great persecution in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, or excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 broke out, believers were scattered all throughout the region surrounding Jerusalem. And they kept moving further and further away. And by Acts chapter 11, we read that believers have now taken root in the city of Antioch, which is 300 miles from Jerusalem. And it was in Antioch in Acts chapter 13 where Paul and Barnabas were set apart. And during Paul's missionary journeys, he collected money for the saints who were in Jerusalem because of a great famine that occurred in the Roman Empire during the A.D. 40s. And so these people in Macedonia, they were the furthest of all three of Paul's missionary journey. They were the farthest away. It took Paul an extreme amount of time to get there. He established churches in the Macedonian cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And they were each experiencing extreme poverty in their own countries. And yet... They begged for the opportunity to participate, to have koinonia in collecting money for the saints in Jerusalem. They were having their own difficult time, but in their spirit, they said, hey, we're all a part of the body of Christ together. Let us give. That's the body of Christ. That's the family of God. America is a nation in the world that is responsible for sending more missionaries than any other nation in the world and sending more dollars around the world to spread the gospel. We give that they might hear the gospel, be saved, build churches, and reach out. 
That's why we as Silver Creek Church partner with missionaries in the Middle East. We partner with missionaries in Europe, in Central Asia, in Moldova, in Myanmar, in Argentina, in Slovakia, in Georgia, in Jamaica, in Belize, in downtown Milwaukee at City on a Hill, and at NMU Chi Alpha. Come on! I saw him walk in, I think. Next Sunday morning, at the end of the service, we're going we're, we're gonna to baptize Alex, one of our students, at the end of the service. I know you're not supposed to do stuff off the cuff, but I've been thinking of this, and if you want to get baptized, and you just text me, just call the office, just say, hey, plan on me. I want to get baptized next Sunday. We'll baptize you next Sunday, okay? I don't think Alex will mind sharing that experience with others. We'll be ready to go. Mike's going to be there. We're going to baptize Alex. It's going to be awesome. Over the next few months, we're going to give you the opportunity to give toward Madison's next trip to Cameroon and a neighboring country to Cameroon. And he already has meetings set up with the prime minister and the cabinets of those countries. And he's going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the church, we get the opportunity to engage in that sort, to participate in koinonia, to spread the gospel. Why? Because we're part of the body. And we're in this thing all together. We have to understand that we're one body in Christ. And finally, it says they had glad and sincere hearts. Look at verse 26. They met together. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. Now, I have to tell you that when, when we read Acts chapter 2, and 42 to 47, a lot of people panic because it talks about them meeting every day. Okay? Let's just, can we just be honest? And you're like, if that, if that pastor is going to try to start an Acts chapter 2 church, and i got to go to church every day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to one of them quarterly questions nights with the board, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a piece of my mind, is what I'm going to do. I, I, don't, I don't want you to panic, okay? You see... With the, 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 the early church, and I'm talking, I'm talking in the first period of time in Jerusalem, you have the Jewish people, and every day at the temple, I believe at 3 o'clock, they would have the time of prayer. This was just a part of their, their culture. It was a part of their daily routine. And so what happened was the Christians would gather in a certain part of the temple known as Solomon's Colonnade. They would gather there and they would spend time together. They might be praying together. There might be someone, one of the apostles, sharing the word. They might just be fellowshipping together. But it worked with their culture. It worked with being a Jew and living in Jerusalem and being at the temple. It's not necessarily a pattern that God says, I want you, come on, I want you to get these people meeting together every day. I mean, the church would just grow leaps and bounds, I'm sure. 
Come on, work with me. I was being facetious there. You guys are kind of panicking a little bit. How serious is this guy? But it, Luke says, or yeah, Luke, the writer of Acts, he says they broke bread in their homes. This can only mean really one of two things. Either they literally were being hospitable one to another and saying, hey, come on, come on over to my house. That's kind of been replaced with let's go out to eat you know, together, because if I invite you to my house, I got to clean my house, okay? And a few weeks ago, Preston said, hey, don't bother doing that. He, he's got to realize who I am, okay? Uh, that, that, that's just who, so we go out to eat a lot more, you know? Uh, but the other option, and this is what I think he's talking about, I think he's talking about the Lord's Supper, okay? He says they broke bread together. And they did so with glad and sincere hearts. Remember that in Luke 22, Jesus said, when you break bread together, when you share the cup together, you remember the Lord's death until I come. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. They were in obedience. They were getting together and they were sharing this together. So let's fast forward to, first, uh, to 20 to 25 years to where Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read this every month when we do communion together. Let's look at it. Only I'm, I'm going uh, to read a little earlier than we read normally. Look at verse 20. So then, when you come together for the Lord's Supper, is what he's talking about, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. Now the early church called this meal that they would have together, they called it the agape feast, the love feast. And so when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they had a meal together. They didn't have those nasty little square, tasteless pieces of cracker, okay? They didn't have those, you know, quarter-size discs that melt on your mouth and leave kind of a gummy film on your teeth and you got to, you know, try to respectfully get it off the roof of your mouth. They didn't serve a little glass of juice. They ate a meal together. And the problem was that as they got together, those that had more resources or those that were friends, they would sort of set themselves off to the side and they would have a private meal. And then others who had little or no resources, they were left to, to, to have virtually nothing together. There wasn't an equity in the meal, okay? They were supposed to be one body, but yet there was division. They were divided up. And Paul said that some are to the point of gluttony and some literally have nothing. There was no love in the love feast. They had lost their glad and sincere hearts. And Paul was furious. He said, I, I will not commend you. I am ticked off that this is happening. 
You're literally despising God's church by humiliating one another because you've lost your glad and sincere hearts. As the church, we need to have that glad and sincere heart. When I was a youth pastor, there was a word that I hated above all other words that was common in the teenage vernacular. And the word was click. Oh, I hated that word. When we lived in Milwaukee, I heard that word. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of clicks. A lot of clicks in this youth group. I would tell the kids, I, do, I forbid you. That's a cuss word I said in my vocabulary. I do not want to hear that word spoken. I had a guest speaker come one night, and he was talking about raising money for Speed the Light, Pastor Ben challenging our kids to, to fill one of those uh, water cooler tanks full of money in one offering. And a kid walked up to him that night and he said, hey, don't tell Pastor Kevin, but there's a lot of cliques in this youth group. We worked hard. We, we had to break down walls. It's sad, but sometimes in the body of Christ there exist those walls. And you've got one group of people over here and one group of people over there. And maybe I'm blind, okay? Maybe I am. But I, I thank the Lord that I don't sense that in this body of believers. Amen. And so I want to encourage you. Be devoted to the fellowship. Have glad and sincere hearts. Don't don't separate yourself off from others. There's others that need you. There's others that, man, they, they have needs, and, and, and you know what? Together, God can help us meet those needs. Last night, that's what those ladies were doing. There were ladies that probably were dying for a massage that were from Silver Creek, and they didn't get one because they were doing some ladies' nails. They were meeting their needs. God has called us. See, the church in the first century experienced so much success, so many that came to the Lord because they were all in on being all together. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. I realize we're not going to get together seven days a week. I mean, except for the week of prayer, and then we do it six out of seven. But let me tell you something. When we get together, let's be devoted. Let's be, last summer I challenged, I challenged people. You know what? This summer, let's really, let's, let's be committed even in our church attendance during summer. You know, the old saying is the only thing that keeps youpers out of church more than bad weather is good weather. Let's be, let's be committed. Let's be devoted to the fellowship. We're not the only fellowship in town. I realize that, but we're one of them, aren't we? Let's be devoted to the one that God has given us. And He has given us something special. So Father, I pray for these beautiful people. I pray, Lord, for those that are not with us today because they're traveling, because they have other obligations. And I pray today, Lord, that as a church we would be all in 
on being all together. Father, that we would recognize the impact that we have by working together to take the church to the community. Father, we can reach thousands for Jesus Christ. We can be effective if we're devoted to the fellowship, if we have everything in common, and if we have a glad and sincere heart. Father, the world will recognize it. Your word says that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Father, give us that love as the body of Christ, as the fellowship. Give us that love, I pray. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.